You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1,911th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 12th of January 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is Harvey Johnson and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and Harvey Johnson. We should also mention our processing team, who do work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And now we will start, as usual, with our headlines, and Harvey has our first one. Thank you, Sue. Eric, 90, among community heroes to be awarded BEM. A message from King Charles as Mary marks 107th birthday. A&E consultant urges patients to use NHS wisely. Pupils put best foot forward to help homeless. A Bury St Edmunds pensioner, recognised for his services to policing, is among others in the area to be included in the New Year's Honours list. Eric Hopes, 90, of Garland Street, has been awarded a British Empire Medal for his volunteer work at the Suffolk Constabulary Museum. Eric, who was born in Great Blakenham in 1932 and went to Bungay Grammar School, joined the police at Halesworth as a cadet in 1949. Coming from a family with a strong connection to the force, Eric worked in the police until 1989 when he retired as a superintendent and became a firearms licensing officer. He officially retired in 1998. Although mainly stationed in Suffolk CID, his time working in the police saw him stationed in Cyprus for three years in the 1950s, and he worked with the Nyasaland police in Malawi for three years after this. And at the age of 90, Eric is still dedicated to policing in the county, giving up his free time to volunteer at Suffolk Constabulary Museum in Martlesham. He started working at the centre in 2015, and throughout the pandemic, he continued to obtain and add to the artefact collection. He's met families who have traced their history to members of the constabulary and carried out private tours of the museum for them. He also visits the homes of officers who have recently died to meet their families and ensure their memories are recorded in the museum with a piece of their kit or a photograph of them. Eric manages a small team of volunteers who make sure displays are updated to enhance the visitor experience and he introduced museum tours to the local community, bringing police cadets, other Suffolk youth groups and members of diverse and hard-to-reach communities to visit the museum. He said of his job, My grandfather joined Suffolk Police in 1889 and my father in 1920, so working in the museum goes hand-in-hand with the history of the force. I'm still active in the museum, a job I find is most rewarding, as it shows just how far the service has progressed over the years. When he heard he had been recognised in the New Year's Honours list, he said he felt lucky and was particularly happy to have been awarded the accolade. I'm very honoured to receive this award, 
as it goes some way in reflecting the continual service that the police in Suffolk, and indeed elsewhere, give to the public in many ways, shapes and forms, he said. Also awarded a BEM in the honours was Ian Toulson of Walshamley Willows for his services to his community. This has included his 2012 Comfy Cowsey Quest, 3,000 miles along the rivers of Europe, raising about £3,000 to improve the toilets at the village hall. In 2017, he rode around Britain's cathedrals a 2,500-mile ride to raise money for the village's St Mary's Church organ and fabric fund, as well as to celebrate his 70th birthday. The journey for the fundraiser took him to Elgin in Scotland and went to the most westerly point of his ride, St David's on the Pembrokeshire coast, before riding to Exeter and returning to St Edmundsbury Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds via Canterbury. A BEM was also awarded to Malcolm Finch of Brandon. The forestry machine operator of Forestry England was awarded his for services to forestry. A woman who has drawn to Suffolk through her love for music has celebrated her 107th birthday. Mary Tarry marked her big day on Tuesday in the company of family and friends at the Martins Care Home in Vinefields, Bury St Edmunds, where she has lived since 2008. Originally from London, Miss Tarry had a lifelong infatuation with Alborough, living there for many years. As a violinist, she was attracted to the nearby Snape Maltings Concert Hall. Nephew, Peter Tarry, from Newmarket, who attended the party, at which his aunt received a message from King Charles, said, Sadly, my grandfather fell in the Great War, so she never knew her father. Being the youngest in her family, she fell into the role of looking after her mother. When her mother died in 1972, she retired to Alborough on the coast and had some wonderful years there. Miss Tarry never married. However, she is from a large family, being the youngest of four siblings. In addition, she has multiple nieces and nephews spread out across Suffolk, Hampshire and Norfolk. At her party, which featured a special made cake, Miss Tarry thanked everyone for attending. When asked about the secret to a long life, she said, I'd certainly tell you if I knew. Trust in God and believe in his word. Peter's wife, also called Mary, praised staff at the Martins for their care. She said, She's been there 15 years, and the staff and everybody have been absolutely amazing. <laughs> An emergency department consultant at West Suffolk Hospital has urged people to use NHS services wisely this winter as pressures on the health service in Suffolk increase. In the run-up to Christmas, West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust declared a critical internal incident due to demands on the emergency department and the number of patients with high medical needs. After the critical internal incident ended on December the 23rd, the Trust confirmed it was still treating a large number of patients with high medical needs. It also said rates of flu were high across the Trust and the community it served. Ahead of New Year's Eve celebrations, Rave Ayumutu, 
emergency department consultant and deputy medical director of the Trust, said the hospital was very busy, but reassured patients that NHS staff would be there for them. He added, We are asking everyone to please use our NHS services wisely. This will mean others with greater need can be seen more quickly. However, please ensure that if you or someone else requires urgent clinical care, that you attend an accident and emergency department or telephone 999. Last month, Nicola Cottington, Chief Operating Officer of the Trust, said they had taken a number of steps, including focusing on discharging patients who were ready to go home. She also asked for the public to help the Trust by getting their COVID-19 and flu jabs and using the NHS 111 service for non-urgent health advice. Advice from the Trust, which runs both West Suffolk Hospital and Newmarket Hospital, came as a group that runs the NHS 111 service in Suffolk and North Essex said it was experiencing exceptionally high demand this winter. More than 9,000 calls were made to 111 over the Christmas bank holiday weekend. The Practice Plus group, which runs the 111 service, said the Royal College of Nursing strike in January was likely to have a knock-on effect on call volumes over the coming months. A spokeswoman for the group said the 111 service was planning ahead and preparing as much as possible for the RCN strike. During the strike action, the 111 service will be prioritising the most unwell. A seven-year-old girl has been joined by her friends to walk one mile a day (coughs) to help those that are homeless. The challenge stemmed from when Charlie Setterfield from Stowmarket surprised her mother this year with her letter to Father Christmas. While many children her age may use their letter to ask for toys, all Charlie wanted was for those that are homeless to have somewhere warm to stay. Charlie saw some homeless people on the street a few years ago, said Stacy Setterfield. She asked me a lot of questions as to why they didn't have homes. She initially asked me if her granddad and uncle could build them all a home. So, when it was time to Father Christmas to have his letter, Charlie decided to ask for his help. This year, my Christmas wish is for all the homeless people to get somewhere warm to live, Charlie wrote. It has been really cold and I've been worrying about them. However, on reflection, Charlie and her two friends, Gabriella and James, decided that this may be a tall order for Santa. They decided, between the three of them, that this might not be possible, but they could instead do something to raise some money, explained Gabriella's mother, Marie Morris. So the three trio have been meeting each morning since January the 4th at their school, Finborough School in Stowmarket, to walk, run or skip a mile each day. All funds raised will be donated to Helping Hands Suffolk, a group which provides supplies such as tents, sleeping bags and hot food to those in need. Charlie said, The homeless people have no homes, and it has been so cold that they must be freezing, said Mrs Setterfield. Charlie's friends hope their help will make a difference. It is important to help the homeless people so they can get the stuff that we get, 
and have better places to live, said Gabriella, age seven. It would be really good if we can get them warm clothes, food and drinks, and somewhere safe to live like we do, said James, aged eight. So far, they have raised £445. They will complete their 10-day challenge on Friday, January the 13th. Mrs. Setterfield said, I am so proud of all three children. They have got up and run every morning with smiles on their faces. To donate, search Help the Homeless on GoFundMe.com. And before I finish, I've actually got a copy of the letter that the East Anglian Daily Times printed in their paper. And it does repeat some of the things I've said before, but I will read it to you. The letter starts. To Santa. How are you, Mrs. Claus and the reindeer? This year, my Christmas wish is for all the homeless people to get somewhere warm to live. It has been really cold and I've been worrying about them. I was going to ask for baby Samuel, but I thought that it would be more important for the homeless to have a place they can call home. Lots of love and huggles, Charlie Bear. And she finishes the letter with three drawn love hearts and three kisses. What a gorgeous letter. What a lovely child. <laughs> <coughs> A pub near Bury St Edmunds that was well known for its carveries has been closed. The Bunbury Arms on the A143 at Great Barton has been shut by its former tenant. Green King, which owns the property, has confirmed it is searching for new landlord to take charge of the building. The Bunbury Arms is the latest Suffolk pub to close in recent weeks, with the Swan in Monks Ely and the Railway Tavern in Saxmundham also among those shutting. A spokesman for Green King said, We can confirm the Bunbury Arms has been closed by our tenant and we are looking for a new partner to operate this pub with us. The pub is well known within the area and popular for its great food and drink offering. Our search for a new partner has only just begun so anyone interested should get in touch to find out more. The popular food pub is now being advertised for any prospective partners to take on the village's only pub. A description on the Green King website claims the pub could introduce a coffee offer in a bid to attract morning trade. It states, The Bunbury Arms in Great Barton is a popular local pub, famous locally for a great carvery offer. The pub trades at an 80-20 split in favour of food, and either expanding the carvery offer or exploring other food options are the future for this great pub. Sitting in a prominent roadside position, the pub would benefit from a great coffee offer to attract morning trade and expand the trading hours. The site attracts families and older customers and is especially busy at weekends. It is also the only pub in the village. News of the closure was greeted with shock and disappointment on social media. On Facebook, Anne Smith said, Such a shame, this used to be a great pub. You used to have to book to get a meal there. Alison Cornell added, So sad. We'll miss the great food. 
A Christmas service held for Ukrainian refugees and their host families was attended by about 700 people in a service marking Christmas for Ukrainians and host families from across Suffolk. While Western countries traditionally celebrate Christmas Day on December the 25th, many Ukrainians instead celebrate on January the 7th, as the Greek and Orthodox churches follow the Julian calendar. A special two-hour service was held on Friday, January the 6th, at St Edmundsbury Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds. It featured popular Ukrainian Christmas carols, such as Nova Radist, which is New Joy, Dobry Vector Toby, which is Good Evening, Sleep Jesus Sleep, and Heaven and Earth are now celebrating. The cathedral service began with the Ukrainian liturgy and blessing of the bishops and continued with a nativity performance using traditional Ukrainian puppet theatre, Vertep. The Reverend Canon Philip Banks, a canon presenter at St. Edmundsbury Cathedral, said that the people of Ukraine continue to be at the forefront of their prayers and added that the service was intended to give them mutual support, encouragement, comfort and joy. As of October the 25th, there were 1,169 Ukrainian refugees who had arrived in Suffolk. Very good. A retired train driver from Ipswich is ready to put in the hard graft to work 66 different jobs this year alone. Tony Harris will be working an eclectic mix of jobs on 66 different days throughout the year, giving his day's wages to East Anglia Children's Hospices. With any role being considered, he said if Suffolk superstar Ed Sheeran needed a personal chauffeur for the day, he would be happy to oblige. Mr Harris, who will be turning 66 in May, said he is willing to do any job that comes his way, happy to learn or do inductions before starting work and will give 100%. He said, I'll do anything and will put my mind to whatever comes my way. I might be 65, but I am fit. I don't smoke or drink, so I am in good shape. Mr Harris, who lives in Rushmere, St Andrew, retired two years ago from his job as a train driver for Greater Anglia. Throughout his life, he has done many jobs from managerial, training and office roles to manual roles and working in factories. He said, I can do whatever. I'm happy to work a day in the NHS, day being a postman, driving cars for dealerships or even be Ed Sheeran's chauffeur. Mr Harris has said he is happy to go anywhere in East Anglia to complete the challenge with all the money going on his Just Giving page directly. He said, I've been thinking of ways I could raise funds for this wonderful charity. The reason I chose each is because I used to live on Felixstowe Road in Ipswich. I've always been aware of the great work the charity does and have so much respect for it. I can't begin to imagine how parents must feel when they have children with life-threatening conditions and want to do whatever I can to help. Mr Harris also said that he would love to write another book following the release of his first book last year, Suffolk's Last Cold War Victim, which also raised money for East Anglian Children's Hospices. 
A Thetford marathon runner and fundraiser is hoping town residents will get their knitting needles and crochet hooks out to help with her latest appeal. Mel Furness has launched her Knit for Love campaign on the back of her third successful Thetford hamper appeal at Christmas. In the three years it has run, more than 260 people have benefited from hampers, and this time around it has inspired this new idea. Mel said, A few people had knitted and crocheted items such as hats and scars for this year's hampers, which were lovely and gave some different and special for people this time round. Those that had donated those sorts of items then asked if we would want things like that for next year as it gave them something to do over the winter months. And that got me thinking to do this. For her new initiative, Mel is calling on knitters and crocheters to create items such as hats, scarves, shawls, gloves, mittens and blankets to help those struggling with the cold. She said, With the cost of living crisis and not looking like it's going away any time soon, these items could help individuals and families to keep warm in the cold months now and at the end of the year. And with it still getting dark early, some people might turn to knitting and crocheting to pass the time and can help so many others in the process. Both campaigns, the Hamper Appeal and the Knit for Love, are part of the Thetford Foundation, which was set up by Mel to raise money for organisations and charities within Thetford and Breckland. She hopes this year to make it a community-incorporated charity, which would help project, like the hamper appeal, be bigger and better than before. Mel said, This will enable us to apply for funding, and it will also help us to combine good courses with the foundation in the town. If you have any knitted or crocheted items you wish to donate to the campaign or are in need of items, email thetfordfoundation at outlook.com. A former station warrant officer of RAF Honington has been awarded the Member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, MBE. Mac MacDonald from Thetford was awarded his honour through the military for services to RAF Honington and raising the profile of the station in the community. Mac said he was told only a couple of days before the honours were officially announced. He said, The station commander had invited a few of us over to his house for dinner on December the 28th. We had a lovely evening, and at the very end of it he made the announcement. It is brilliant. I'm so pleased, and really, really chuffed. But it was a proper shock. Mac served in the RAF for 39 years, having joined in 1983 as an RAF regiment gunner, but he was remustered after four years due to an eye injury. He retrained as a chef and served six years in the trade before finding that his eyesight had improved enough to allow a retrade back to gunner, although this meant completing another basic gunner course at RAF Catterick. Life as a chef came with the opportunity to meet an RAF stewardess, his wife Sue whom he married in the Falkland Islands in 1989, the first forces couple to do so. His career has included ceremonial duties on the Queen's Colour Squadron, a Northern Ireland tour, stabilisation works in Nadi Ali province with the Gurkhas, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, liaison officer 
and a myriad of training roles. Although Mac left RAF Honington in February 2022, he still works for the station's base support programme, helping and developing the junior ranks and the station's heritage centre. His other role involves working with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, and Mac has also been a Thetford Town Councillor for Boudicca Ward since July last year. Asked what he would like to say to people who have supported him, Mac said, Things like this take so much effort, and for people to have done that for me is so humbling. I'm so thankful for my family and friends who have also helped me along the way. Cheesemakers at Fen Farm Dairy in Bungay <coughs> say they are over the moon to have been named the best British cheese brand for 2022-2023 in the Fine Food Digest Awards. Voted by Delhi's farm shops and food halls, the awards place the raw milk, restyled cheese ahead of heavy hitters such as Colston Bassett Stilton, Westcombe Cheddar, Snowdonian Black Bomber and Cornish Yarg. Baron Bygod is made the Cricklemore family using milk from their Montebiard herd which graze on the rich pastures of North Suffolk, South Suffolk in the warmer months. The cheese is bloomy rinded with a subtle centre that oozes slightly as it matures, giving over earthy, truffly, umami mushroom flavours. It's available all over the region, in independent food stores and farm shops, as well as across the UK, online from their website and direct from the farm's own 24-hour vending machines at Bungie, where it can be purchased alongside Fen Farms raw milk, mascarpone, butter and shakir coffee, hot chocolates and local goodies, including bread and cakes. Johnny Crickmore says, It's hard to believe that we have reached this point. Ten years ago, we had an idea that we would start using the milk from our own herd of cows to make a bit of cheese to sell in our little honesty shop at the farm gate. Today, we've been voted the best cheese brand in the UK. It's really amazing feeling. We are so proud of our whole team. Every person here at the farm has played a part in this journey. If it is your New Year's resolution to walk more in 2023, head to Stanton to explore a historic church known as the Roofless Ruin. Those walking around the village near Bury St Edmunds will find the abandoned St John the Baptist Church standing just off the A143. St John the Baptist is one of two churches in Stanton, the other being All Saints in Old Bury Road. In years gone by, the churches covered separate parishes. However, when they combined, the parish was unable to afford two rectors. This led to St John the Baptist, built in the 14th century, eventually being abandoned. Reports from 1810 said the church was in a very bad state of repair, which eventually led to restoration in the 1850s. By the middle of the Edwardian era, between 1901 and 1910, the church, sometimes referred to as Upper Stanton Church, was only being used for burials. However, by 1962, it had been left empty for many years and its roof was removed to discourage thieves from stealing the wood it was made from 
and so it wouldn't collapse on people. If you do find yourself taking a wander around the church grounds this winter, you may spot one of its unusual features. Underneath the church tower, built in the 15th century, you will find a special passageway. The tower was designed in this way so that an annual procession to ward off evil spirits could do a complete circle around the church. It was built because the rectory was so close to the church. Those taking a walk around the churchyard this Christmas will see that the Church Conservation Trust has now bricked up the stairway to stop people climbing inside. Up until five years ago, burials were still carried out in the churchyard, with people buried facing to the left in the traditional way. Poignantly, a service still takes place at St John the Baptist on the first Sunday of July each year. According to Peter Palmer from the Blackbourne Local History Society, in 1975 the church was once described as a roofless ruin. However, the church has more secrets to share. Mr Palmer said that 250 years ago, the field north of St John's was the scene of the Turnip Field murder. Not much is known about the mysterious events, though as the name of the murder might suggest it is believed to have taken place in a turnip field. Also buried in the churchyard is one of the founding members of the Special Air Service, SAS. The story of Sergeant Major Seekings was recently played out in SAS Rogue Heroes. Reg is buried alongside his wife, Monica, after the couple moved here in the 1980s. And this article was written with the help of Peter Palmer from the Blackburn Local History Society. A Haverhill woman is determined to stop people from wrecking havoc in the hedgerows to save the hedgehogs. With hibernation in full swing, most of us cannot expect to see a hedgehog before the middle of March. However, Claire Buckle from Haverhill is concerned that a chronic lack of understanding is causing people to unwittingly disturb the creatures depriving them of their natural habitats and food sources in the process. According to the RSPCA, hedgehogs are now considered vulnerable to extinction in Great Britain. Factors contributing to this decline include the destruction of their habitats, increasing road traffic and the use of pesticides, which makes it increasingly harder for hedgehogs to find food. Miss Buckle, who is 52, has been rescuing hedgehogs since the first lockdown. Shortly before Christmas, she received a worried phone call from a couple in Chalkstone. The couple had used a strimmer to cut back their four-foot hedge and has destroyed the hibernating hedgehog's habitat. My heart sunk when I got there because there was just a pile of prickles on the pavement, said Miss Buckle. I feel very strongly about protecting the hedges because people are cutting them back too much this time of year. The hedgehogs are so important because they rely on the insects they get from their lice, slugs and caterpillars. With climate change, it's a nightmare for them. Hedgehogs need to maintain a weight of 80 gra- sorry, 800 grams to survive. When it is time for hibernate, they will build a nest from twigs and leaves, which will maintain a temperature of 4 to 6 degrees Celsius. Their whole body slows down, and when the weather warms, the body wakes up, explained Miss Buckle. 
This slowing down enables hedgehogs to conserve energy and thus survive the winter months without food. If the hedgehogs are disturbed, they will then have to use increased energy to survive. Fortunately, Miss Buckle was able to save the hedgehog she rescued before Christmas. However, she strongly advises garden owners to check their hedges before cutting them back, or better still, wait until later in the year before doing so. She estimates that she has rescued around 25 hedgehogs in total. She was delighted to complete her first breeding program in 2022 and now has a family of around nine hedgehogs hibernating in her garden. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> a college and a student have won a trio of accolades from the Institute of Carpenters, that is, IOC. Former West Suffolk College apprentice Henry Knott, 22, from Berries and Edmonds, came runner-up in the National Third Year Student Award for 2022, in a competition run by the IOC. In addition to this success, Henry then became the first ever recipient of the Robert Rampley Memorial Award for Outstanding Craftsmanship. This award was created by the family of Robert Rampley, a dedicated carpenter and joiner who passed away this year. His family started a bursary as a legacy. In addition to these two accolades, West Suffolk College received a certificate from the IOC acknowledging its ongoing hard work and success in training the next generation of carpenters and joiners. Henry, who works for the Berry-based construction company H.G. Frost, said, To stand out in front of others on a national stage is amazing. I'd like to thank my employer and the college for all the advice, knowledge and support they've given me. I'd also like to thank the family of Robert Rampley for giving me this great honour. And West Suffolk College carpentry and joinery lecturer Brian Tonbridge said, We hugely value our relationship and association with the Institute of Carpenters, so to receive acknowledgement like this is a massive boost for everyone. Congratulations also to Henry. He was a delight to work with. The president of the IOC, Jeff Rhodes, said, Well done, Henry, and the college, and thanks to the sponsors and the family of Robert Rampley. As an institute, we have a real focus on technical education, and we are actively committed to supporting and adding value to colleges and the student carpentry experience across the UK. These competitions help us to achieve these goals. A permanent memorial for Suffolk women who served during the Second World War is at the centre of a £100,000 drive. In 2019, Nikki Reynolds and Vicky Abbott launched a project which Suffolk Archives called Sharing Suffolk Stories. The initiative focused on stories from the county which have not been told before. Miss Reynolds said the project highlighted unknown stories and activities that have happened in Suffolk. We did the research and uncovered the stories of the women who served in the Women's Land Army in the Second World War in the county. Me and Vicky both have relatives who served in the Land Army in Suffolk, so we wanted to find out more about women who either lived in Suffolk or came here and served in the Second World War, she said. 
The historian said that the project aimed to celebrate the things that women from Suffolk did, including their contribution to the region and the whole nation. Sharing Suffolk Stories launched an exhibition that took a tour around Suffolk and included a wide range of activities and talks about women and the part they played in the region's history. Miss Reynolds said, We very quickly discovered that we needed and wanted to do more. We registered a charity called Suffolk Women's Land Army Memorial Trust to honour all of the women that we've uncovered. Our aim is to be available to anybody who would like to find out what the women of Suffolk did, as well as to get to know their names. The founders of the charity launched online fundraising, which would help them set up a permanent memorial for the women they discovered. Miss Reynolds added, Our goal is to raise £100,000. We've spoken to a sculptor, a local artist, who's got some ideas about creating the memorial. Our aim is a fair bit of work, but we are getting there. Nikki Reynolds, Vicky Abbott, Mary Pereira and Holly Bregger have recently launched another project called Soil Sisters that took place at The Hold. The exhibition originally uniforms worn by the land girls, photographs, paperwork and 50 digital resources including Holly Bregger's film, Land Girls and the Horses of Suffolk. And now I think we're going to move on to our letters, aren't we, Harvey? We are indeed. We know you always enjoy the letters, so uh, as a break from the general news, here are a few letters now. Uh, the first one's from Graham Day of Stowmarket, and he says, It was good to see Malden musician Sam Ryder cap what must have been a phenomenal year for him by appearing on the BBC's New Year's Eve coverage, a just reward for years of hard work. After his Eurovision song Spaceman, he was joined on the stage by Justin Hawkins of the Loistoff band The Darkness for an excellent falsetto duet rendition of The Darkness's hit song I Believe in a Thing Called Love from their first album Permission to Land. In olden days, I used to watch Andy Stewart. This was far better. Further proof, if it were needed, that the eastern counties are a hotbed of musical talent Excellent. Um, my first letter is from Trevor Mason, and he's actually from Felixstowe. And it's a short letter, and he heads it, Which words roll off the tongue? I'm not a Twitter user, but I have learned that a year-long project amongst its users found that shenanigans is their favourite word. Well, my favourite word is peripatetic. It's just a rolls off the tongue. I can't help but wonder what is the favourite word of the word smiths that regularly contribute to the letters page. I await their choices with interest. <laughs> uh, now, of course, in these days of social media, the Berry Free Press publishes what it calls Chatterbox, which is items drawn from social media, and, and this is their, their entry for this week. It says, news that an emergency department consultant at West Suffolk Hospital has urged people to use NHS services wisely, because that was earlier now recording, got readers tapping away at their keyboards. 
And one of those who wrote in was Candice Edwards, and she says, Well, people can't see a doctor or a dentist, and 111 sends them to hospital after failing to get them an appointment. There's also a lot of people in hospital that are fit to be discharged, but the care companies can't cover them due to the amount of clients they already have. A vicious cycle. And also, a Tony Mishap added, The basis of crowded A&E problems lies solely with the GP surgeries, who just won't see anybody and send them all to the hospital. Personally spent four hours in West Suffolk Hospital A&E the week before Christmas. My problem could have easily been dealt with at the surgery. Many, many people there at the same time had nothing more than cold or flu symptoms that they told me their doctor wouldn't deal with. That's a contentious view, but one (laughs) held by many, I'm sure. Yeah, that's quite right. Uh, My next letter is from Graham Day from Stowmarket. He heads the letter, Delightful Visit to Tree Festival. On a wet weekday between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve, we took the opportunity to visit the Stowmarket Christmas Tree Festival in the parish church. What a sight greeted us. Although there have been a reduction in the area which would be available for the tree display due to the installation of the Ossia Cafe, the vision of illuminated Christmas trees was stunning. We were immediately transported into a world of multicoloured twinkling celestial stars. At the altar, several trees, including in the forthright a huge tree, festooned with a bright star, with a magnificently dominant focal part, drawing one's gaze across the nave. There were excellent decorated trees from many local schools. Others which caught the eye included the Red Tree of the Boys' Brigade and the Tree of the Stowmarket Concert Band. There were also memory trees, which included dedications to lost family members and friends, with many touching tributes. Of particular note was a superbly decorated tree in the choir, which had been prepared by Clifford Davy, a real surprise and a delight to see. Well done. A helpful steward at the end of our visit explained how we could make our donation by using the unique helter-skelter on top of the box, which took our coins down various slopes and into the box below. This reminded me also of the pinball machines played by me in my youth. An interesting and fun way to end our visit. Afterwards, as the Ossia Cafe was still closed for the Christmas period, a first-time ever visit to the Lime Tree Cafe. We had excellent coffee and tea cakes and would actually pay by cash for once. How wonderful! A memorial and a very well-worth day on a day with eclement weather. (laughs) (laughs) And here's a letter from John Dell of Shotley. And John says, Since 2010... We have had five Conservative Prime Ministers. The first introduced years of austerity economics, the effects of which we still suffer. The next liked to skip through farmers' wheat fields and danced very badly. The third dressed up more frequently than TV character Mr Ben. The fourth couldn't find a way out of a room, but quickly found a way out of a job, whilst our current Prime Minister appears to be so elusive he's been called the Invisible Man. If the damage they caused to this country wasn't so serious, 
you'll be excused for thinking we must be living within a carry-on movie. One thing we can all be certain of is that there'll be no movie sequel for them for some considerable time. And my next letter, it's a lovely letter of people, somebody who's been hurt and um, was rescued. It's from Jane Stiles from Bury St Edmunds, and she says, thank you for coming to my aid. Last Thursday at lunchtime, I tripped on the curb opposite Smith's on Cornhill, Bury St Edmunds, and fell on my face. I was very lucky in that two men came to my aid, one of whom was an off-duty medic. They got me up and the medic walked with me to my doctor's. My son came and later took me to A&E, as my face had swollen badly. I saw the doctor and had a CT scan and after a lengthy wait was allowed home. My very grateful thanks to my helpers in Barry and of course my son. I'm battered, bruised, but okay. <laughs> And here's another letter which uh, includes thanks from Simon Harding of Berries and Edmonds. He says, 8pm on Thursday, December the 22nd. It was raining hard. A knock on our front door. It was a postman delivering my wife's medication. Postal staff were working especially late as strike action was scheduled to start the next day. They were determined residents receive their medication and didn't run the risk of running short over the holiday period. What a fantastic, caring and selfless act. They should all be applauded. And this is my last letter, and it's from Gwen Peace, and she is in Ipswich. Uh, Heads her letter, a rum old do was had by <laughs> all. Alan Titchmarch, versatile host of TV's Love Your Weekend, Welcome two of my favourite presenters on Sunday, January the 8th. James Martin, chef extraordinaire, and Jimmy Doherty, owner of Jimmy's Farm. Significantly, James and Jimmy both attributed their success to the support of family and teams of background workers. It was amusing to hear antidotes of their careers as both have engaging personalities and a great sense of humour. A rum old do was held by all, with a tasting session of the spirit in combination with a variety of mixes. This was greeted with much laughter and comment and brought an agreeable conclusion to the show. And now we're going to read you two news features. Uh, mine is entitled A Street of All Trades. Still a very desirable part of Bury St Edmunds, Many of Queen's Road's homes have been extended over the years, though the street suffers from that most modern of scourges, parking. Some tradesmen lived in the houses they constructed. For instance, builder and carpenter George Barbrook built numbers 8 and 9, but left a gap between them, now filled in, so he could store his ladders. George was also responsible for number 10 in 1886. Here, in 1907, Clark Henry Hinnells lived. He had obtained a mortgage of £425 from the trustees of the Royal Odd Fellows Pride Lodge. Quite a sum of money then, though nothing like the value nowadays. 
It passed into the ownership of Godfrey and Mabel Hinnells in 1955, and when she died in 1975, the house was put on the market. Adjacent to this property, with its 130-foot-long garden, is a small track with an old brick and flint barn that was thought to be a dairy at one time. It has now been successfully converted into dwellings. At the top of this track, horses used to be kept in a meadow, sandwiched between the cemetery and Queen's Road. Further along, part of number 23 was removed to allow access to a small development on the meadow now called Cherry Tree Close. Up the road, at the rear of number 43, where the coal, coke and woodyards of S. Frewer were, there was just sufficient gap between him and his neighbour at 44 to trade. This was built in 1887 and was later to become the grocery and provision store of Alfred Howlett, then Queen's Road Post Office. Alfred's son Brian ran it until it sadly closed on June the 18th, 2003. Opposite is Rose Cottage. A strange, apocryphal story concerning this property was that the owner of 64 Queen's Road had it built for his mistress in 1909. Halfway up Queen's Road on the north side are flats that had numbered 99 to 104 and houses 105 to 110. These properties are built on the site of a residential care home called Queen's Close, previously the site of 15 post-World War II corrugated asbestos-type prefabs that were erected soon after the war. As a solution to the housing shortage, the demolition of the council-run Queen's Close led to a new development in 2008 by the Havebury Partnership, and that article was written by local historian, author and tour guide, Martin Taylor. Uh, my feature is written by Chris Morris, and he gives a personal view about the best of times, the worst of times. I've been covering the comings and goings in the town centre for a couple of years now. Goes without saying, in general, it's been a tough time for businesses and restrictions around COVID pandemic. The cost of living crisis, energy price hikes and supply issues worldwide. So when we decided to do a roundup of all the new shops, bars and restaurants in Bury St Edmunds, which have opened, it was interesting to look back. I knew there were quite a few from memory and could think of several straight away from stories I have written. A little research and just how many came as even a surprise to me, with the list still growing even now, with new businesses about to start up in the new year. We featured 16 in total, which in the space of one year is quite remarkable. Vacant units in the town are now at their lowest rate for more than a decade. That's also great, is that the larger ones have also been snacked up, including the former Café Rouge, the former Palmer Store and, of course, the former Debenhams in the Ark, due to be filled by Primark and a cinema. National news reports this week indicate that the shoppers have been returning to town centres more than ever. That is apart from London, where even rush hour can seem quiet. 
and it seems that is also the case in Bury St Edmunds, where footfall in spring and summer has returned to pre-pandemic levels. Is this a general shift in shopping habits, I wonder? Whatever the reason, this year is still looking ominous for many businesses, with rate changes in April, winter energy bills, a cost-of-living crisis and a looming recession. I think it was a former guest of the Angel Hotel who coined the phrase, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And Charles Dickens' opening line to the tale of two two cities couldn't be more pertinent than it is today. I'm not going to harp on about the need to shop local, but at the risk of harping on, please shop local not just in Berrytown Centre, but the area in general. I was lucky enough to attend a conference recently in which economic experts outlining their thoughts on how local and regional growth could be achieved. At the moment, it's a fine line as too much growth will spark inflation and other issues, thus worsening the situation. At the moment, it's more a case of survival. However, what was clear is that local and regional business clusters are vital. They help and encourage each other, supply each other, attract interest from outside and investment. Your £5 spend in a shop or with a business locally benefits not only the business itself, but others in the region too. Barry St Edmunds has a lot to offer shoppers and visitors, and let's hope it stays that way. Poor lighting may have contributed towards an accident in Barry St Edmunds, according to a town councillor who lives nearby. A car ran into bollards at the junction of Kings Road and Prospect Road last Tuesday evening, blocking the road. A Vauxhall Corsa hit both bollards at the junction. The vehicle was recovered and the road was reopened at 9.30pm. Councillor Tom Murray said the incident caused significant damage to the bollards. Unfortunately for the driver, they are massive concrete bollards and not those plastic bendy ones, he said. They demolished the first one and landed on top of the second one, wrecking the car. The police came and the bollards are still broken down. While the car was removed relatively quickly, Councillor Murray said... There was a major police and emergency services presence in the area for some time afterwards. He said he believed the crash may have resulted from poor lighting in the area. The bollards are not very well lit, he said, adding that there were also additional dangers at the junction. He said that although a one-way traffic order was in force along the lower part of King's Road, it was routinely ignored by drivers. He said people have gone down the wrong way, I moaned at Suffolk Highways about the no-entry sign being taken down and it was put up again, but people just don't pay attention to it. However, he acknowledged this was the first significant crash along the busy road. He said, Traffic comes from left and right at the bottom and cyclists often come past there, but it's the first time we've had such a big incident. Suffolk Highways has been approached for comment on the crash. Dart School Helps Children Hit the Bullseye Stowmarket Youth Darts Development School is teaching children from the age of five how to score triple twenties. 
The group is a non-profit group offering free dart sessions for children and young adults at Cedars Park Community Centre. Stuart Huggins, group organiser and darts coach, believes that playing the sport is a great way to develop social skills and also improve on youngsters' maths knowledge. He said, Playing darts is really good for your maths. For me, I've been playing since I was about six, and my teachers couldn't believe how good I was. So far, it's going really well, and it's just so rewarding for us coaches to see the kids having so much fun. The dart school has held two sessions so far and is looking to have one event per month, with the next one being on Saturday, January the 14th, from 1.30 to 4pm. <laughs> Hundreds of people have already enjoyed spooky tours in Berries and Edmonds this season, with organisers hoping it could be a record-breaking year. Ghostly and macabre tours held by Berry Tour Guides have already seen 467 people join or book the experience this season. In previous years, numbers have totaled around 500, but with bookings for this season open until March the figures could exceed previous records. John Saunders, Berry Tour Guide's marketing officer, said, The ghostly and macabre tours are popular because of the places we talk about, including two new locations where recent paranormal activity has occurred. Amid the doom and gloom, it is a relatively cheap night of fun to lift the spirits. Described as not for the faint-hearted, tours take place on winter evenings and feature tales of ghostly apparitions, foul murders, witchcraft, and spooky sights and sounds. A walk through the haunted churchyard includes information about the dastardly deeds committed there. There are still two vacancies <laughs> before the season ends on March the 24th. Private and group bookings are, of course, available. The start of 2023 has been labelled as special for two Ipswich families who welcomed new additions to their family hours apart on New Year's Day at Ipswich Hospital. Lou Anne and Fabia Della Bella welcomed their second child, Olivia Della Bella, on New Year's Day and said it was a great way to start the year. Olivia was the first baby born in Ipswich Hospital in 2023. She came into this world at 8 01am on January the 1st. Her mum said she was due to arrive on December the 29th. There was the likelihood of her coming quite a bit earlier, but she ended up coming late. We were pretty much expecting her to be a premature baby, but she weighed £8.11. ounces. It was nice to get Christmas out of the way and not spend Christmas Day in the hospital but we never thought that we would get as far as the new year. Olivia has an older brother, Giovanni, who next month will turn five. Danielle and Carl Clennell are also happy parents after welcoming their own little girl on New Year's Day. Ellie Mary Joan Clennell was born on January the 1st at 1.44pm and weighed £6.08. ounces. Having a New Year baby surprised the parents as Ellie was due to come on January the 8th. Her mum said, We are all feeling fine. 
The baby is healthy and she didn't cry during delivery as she was very curious of her surroundings. The midwives were very happy with her. It feels very special to have a New Year's baby. We were surprised when we were told that she would likely be here on the day. What a great way to start a new year, 2023. Ellie Mary Joan has an older brother, Caden. Ipswich Hospital was not the only place celebrating a New Year's Day baby. Wessex Suffolk Hospital also welcomed its first baby born in 2023, Christopher Darrell Johnson Jr. He was born in the Bury St Edmunds Hospital at 6.23am on January the 1st and weighed 5 pounds 9 ounces. Well, there's some very happy families, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can always put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Liz, Harvey and Sue, it's goodbye. Good- goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.